And here we go, jumping right into today's portion. Um, actually, before we start, I wanted to uh, correct the record on something from last week. Hillel had asked, what happens if the sota does not want to drink the waters? The correct answer to that question is that she can take a divorce. And... Um, so and she's never forced to drink it, but if she wants to stay married, that is the method. Verse 15. And I'm all, sorry, Rabbi. Does that yeah. mean she's divorcing and taking the adulterous tag with her? No, not necessarily. It's just okay. they're not allowed to remain married. Well, they're not allowed to remain married without the um, without the water being drunk. Okay, thank you. Yeah, and uh, your Bruce asked yesterday about the three mitzvahs that, that are theoretical that never actually happened. And the Talmud does talk about those, and I sent it in the WhatsApp group, but I'll share it here as well, which is that uh, the Ben Sora which I mentioned, the rebellious son, that's something that never happened. Because the, the rules are so specific that it's almost impossible for it all to line up. And so it's more of a theoretical mitzvah. The other one is Ir Hanidachas. Ir Hanidachas is the city where the, where the majority of the city has been worshiping idols. And the laws for that are also very, very specific and very hard to uh, apparently never happened either. And the third one, I'm blanking on. Bruce, do you remember the third? Leprosy in the home. Leprosy of the home, exactly. Right. So what we read in Parshas Mitzorov, where they, there's a discoloration on the stone of a, on the stones of the house, this also, it says, never happened. Um, which raises all kinds of questions, because when we studied that, we read about how, you know, by having to break down the house, um they they discovered they discovered treasures in the walls so perhaps what it means is that it never happened in a way that well perhaps it got to the point where they had to break into the stone and find the treasures but never in the complete um you know worst case scenario that Torah describes I don't know I have to look that up but I, I was thinking about a fourth thing which is I did see different opinions about whether there ever was a sota case. And apparently there is a source that says, well, certainly there were sota cases where it came to the court, it came to the temple and they, they administer the sota waters. But according to one early opinion, it never happened that a woman died from the, the sota waters. There was one story where a twin, an identical twin went in instead of her sister the sister was indeed guilty, but the identical twin went in and drank the water. And of course, nothing happened because she was innocent. But then when she was later with her sister and they embraced, the water got onto this, the, the sister who was guilty and she died. But nobody ever died in the, tab, in the temple or the tabernacle from the Soto waters, according to this opinion. Um, 
So that was that as far as correcting the record. The second what thing about I, a red heifer? Red heifer certainly did happen. Yeah, they, there were nine red heifers. And the 10th one will be in the time of Mashiach. And that's necessary. Otherwise, I mean, it's necessary for the, for the people who are contaminated by contact with the dead. For them to become purified, it requires the ashes of the red heifer. So, yeah, that definitely was in use. The second thing I wanted to say from yesterday, we just didn't get to, is the Torah mentions about the Pesach, the carbon Pesach, the Paschal Lamb, that that has to be offered by a convert. And it specifies that the convert has to bring the, the, um, the Paschal Lamb in the time and, and Pesach time. So the question always is, well, why, why make specific mention of the convert? You know, the convert is, is included in all the laws. So I saw an interesting interpretation by Rabbi Salavechik, who says that the Paschal Lamb was part of the conversion process of the Jewish people right at the beginning of our history. So in Egypt, we had to be circumcised and we had to bring this Paschal Lamb. That was part of our conversion as a people. So one might think that part of the process for a convert post giving the Torah to become a Jew is that he has to bring a Paschal Lamb. The Torah therefore specifies as no, the law is the same. The convert only brings the Paschal Lamb in its time, meaning at uh, Pesach. Okay, now we'll begin with today's portion, which has a really beautiful lesson, as we shall see. When the Mishkan was erected, the cloud covered the Mishkan. Le'ohel Aidu to be a tent for the testimony. What is the testimony? That refers to the Luchot, the two tablets. Uba Erev, in the evening, it would be on the Mishkan as appearance of fire. Ad Boker, until the morning. So what is the verse saying? By day, there was a cloud hovering over the Mishkan, and at night, there was the appearance of fire. Appearance of fire would appear to be not fire itself, but the, only the appearance of fire. Rashi tells us what is the Eidus, the testimony that refers to the Luchot, the tablets of the testimony, which are the testimony of God's revelation at Sinai and of the Ten Commandments. Verse 16, so it shall be always. The cloud covers it by day and the appearance of fire at night. Now the Torah is going to describe the process of the journeys of the Jewish people in the desert. And as I mentioned on Shabbat at length, the journeys of the Jewish people in the desert are not just a utilitarian to get from one place to the next, but rather they are an event in and of themselves. They are an avodah. So as we'll see, and Rashi says it at the end, but I'll give you the, the teaser. I mean, the, uh, the spoiler is that there are three things that happen that um, initiate the movement of the Jewish people, their travel from one place to another. The first is Alpi Hashem, that it has to be by God's instruction. Literally, P is the mouth, the mouth of Hashem, but it's not God saying, let's go. Rather, by God's instruction is when the this cloud that's usually on top of the tabernacle, as the Torah just described, when that starts moving around and doing stuff and going over the tribe of Judah, which is the first to go on the east, that's the sign from God. That's Alpi Hashem. That is time to go. But that's not enough. It has to be Alpi Moshe. 
It has to be by Moshe's word. And that is that Moshe uh, says something. He says the words, the, the verse that we say whenever we take out the Torah from the ark, we say, Arise, O God, and scatter your enemies. That verse. So it's God's instruction, Moshe's pronouncement. And finally, there is the blasting of the trumpets, uh, as we shall see. So these, so the, 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 again, the travel is something very, very important. And it has to have these three elements before getting into it. And obviously in our own lives and the travels that we do, our daily travels, we have those three in, in introductions to, to make sure that our journey is successful, safe and successful. Okay, so let's see what happens. Verse 17, when the cloud arises or departs from the Ohel, Rashi points out something interesting just grammatically and ironic is that the word for departure, which means to, to, to rise up, could have two opposite meanings in the case of a cloud, because a cloud could also be, when you talk about a cloud rising up, that could also mean being formed, right? Where the mist rises from the water, that's also going up. So Rashi points out that that's why it's a different kind of word, hey alot, not um, na'ala, or alot. Alot would be that it actually was being formed. Hey alot means that it's departing. So Bikitzer, in short, when the, when the cloud departs from the Ohel, afterwards, the Jewish people should start traveling. And then how do they know where to stop? And then a place where the cloud will rest, that's where the Jewish people should encamp. Verse 18, here's the, the words that I was mentioning earlier, Alpi Hashem Yisau, by the bidding, or literally the mouth of God, they will travel, the Jewish people, and it's by the by the bidding of God that they will encamp. And once they're there, how long do they stay where the cloud stopped? As long as the cloud is resting there, that's how, and staying upon the Mishkan, upon the tabernacle, that's how long they should encamp. Says Rashi, we learned in a Brita called Melechet HaMishkan that when the Jewish people would travel, the Amudanan, the pillar of cloud, would fold itself up and it would spread itself upon the, the children of Judah, the tribe of Judah, like a beam. And that was during the travel. And then there was the trumpets. Ah, I had it. I, I had the order uh, reversed. So first was God's word. Then there was the trumpets. Toku, they would do the tekiah, which is the one long blast of that trumpet. And that's the short blast, like do, 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 like we do. The toko and then the, the, the long blast again. So two long blasts with the with the short blasts in between. And then they would not go until Moshe would say, Kuma Hashem, arise, O God, as I mentioned before. And then the, the tribe of Judah or the, the whole camp of Judah, which included the other two tribes, Yisachar and Zevulun, they would start going. Now, once they would encamp, now what would happen with this uh, pillar of, of cloud? It would, um, I use the word mushroom, it would, it would uh, mushroom upward, and it would be spread out over the, the children of Judah, 
like a canopy or like a tent, like a hut. And since we say this at the end of Mariv, uh, just before Amida, I'm sorry, but just before Amida in Mariv on Shabbat on Friday night, we say, Hapores Sukkat Shalom Aleinu, that God spreads the sukkah, here he says the canopy, the canopy of peace upon us. So there was this canopy uh, resting upon the children of Judah, and it would not, lo yanifras, it would not depart. Um, a different way, they're translating it as depart. There's another way of looking at it, that's nifrash. But if you, trans, if you read it as nifras, it's actually saying it would not spread itself out. Ad Moshe Omer, until Moshe would say, so just as Moses had to make a pronouncement as part of the travel of going, Moshe also made a pronouncement when they rested. And he would say, return, O Lord, to the myriads of the thousands of Israel. So now we see how it is by God's bidding and in the hands of Moshe. This Rashi is quoting over here at the end the verse from um Verse 23, which is coming up, that it is by God's word and by Moshe's word. Verse 19, and when the, the cloud would linger, that's where ha'arich means long, upon the Mishkan, yamim rabim, for many days. So the Jewish people, the children of Israel, would keep the charge of the Lord and did not travel. They stayed. Now the Torah tells us that they never knew how long they would be in any particular place. And it varied. The yesh, sometimes it happened that the cloud would be upon the Mishkan for several days. Didn't matter. It was by God's word that they encamped and it was by God's word that they traveled. The yesh, verse 21, sometimes it would be so short. It would just be me'erev ad boiker. Just be from night to morning. And then the cloud would depart. Baboiker in the morning, Vinaso, and they would go. Wow, just overnight. It was probably a good deal at the Motel 6. Or if it was day and night, could be they were for the day and a night. The Torah really elaborates on this over three verses, um, really driving in this point <coughs> that. The Jews were at, you know, listening to God. They were they were in a state of submission of, okay, we're going here, we're going there. They were being taken by God from one place to the next. They weren't, it wasn't their initiative. They were showing um, their submission to God. If God wants us to be here. Okay, we're here. We're going to do the work here and so forth. So the third verse here, verse here says, O Yomayim, Yomayim means two days. So Yom is a day, Yomayim is two days. Oichodesh, like uh, the word for a thousand is elef, alpayim is two thousand. Oichodesh, or a month. Oyamim. Now, yamim is tricky because yamim just sounds like days, but we already said two days with yomayim. So, what does yamim mean? Rashi helps us from back in Genesis. The same word is used to mean a year. When the Torah says days, it refers to a year. So, two days or a month or even a year when the, when the Anan lingered on the Mishkan. Uh, to rest upon it, then the Jewish people would encamp below Yisau, they would not travel, but when it got up, they would travel. Again, like I said, Torah is repeating itself, really driving home this point. 
Verse 23 was by the word of God that they would encamp and by the word that they would travel, they would keep the watch of God. Um, the next portion, we'll jump in, get into a little bit. So this is by the, the verse two. God says, make, so it's interesting. Um, the, I mentioned right at the beginning that there are three things and Rashi alluded to it as well. God's word, Moshe's word, and the chatzotzrot, the trumpets, but the trumpets are taught in a separate, um, a separate parsha. You know, with a new introduction. And God spoke to Moses, saying, "I don't know why, but that's that's uh, striking." So, what did God say? Make for you, He says to Moshe, "Make for you two silver trumpets, miksha, like we had with the menorah. That the menorah has to be made out of one piece and chiseled out. So too, these trumpets have to be made in this way. Tase oisam, you shall make them, and." These shall be to call the people, ulemasa esamachanois, and to have the the uh, the camps start moving. So we'll see that the trumpets had a dual purpose, but really a triple purpose. So they would be used to call the people. Hey, everybody, let's go, let's get together and gather. That's lemikra haeda, and the way they would do that is by blowing on both both of the trumpets, and that's what's done by the Kohanim, even though God says, make for you, Moses, these should be your trumpets, but the ones who actually blasted the, the trumpets was the Kohanim. And so if they used both trumpets and it was one long uh, tekiah, that would be a sign that everybody should gather. If they only used one trumpet, that would be a sign that the leaders of the tribe, of the tribe should gather, not all, not the entire people. And then when there was a war, it was done with Tekia, Terua, Tekia. This is all from Rashi. I'm giving you the, uh, the inside story from Rashi. And here is where Rashi says what I said earlier, that they have these three things for the, for the, um, for the travel. Um, here the verse says it if there is only one trumpet then the leader should come and when they would uh, here it says so in these verses it just says which is the single blast whereas when you get to the travels then you're seeing also a and then they start traveling who travels first the ones on the east that is the the uh, the Judean banner, and when they would do the blast again, then the southern would go, and so forth. And it was time to travel. Then it would just be tiskeu velotariu. Who is the ones who do this? The Kohanim. They are the ones who blast the shofarot. Uh, finally, the verse tells us in verse nine: if there's going to be a war, then also you're going to sound the trumpets and be saved, you'll be remembered by God and saved from your enemies. And finally, in verse 10, when there is a holiday, your days of joy and Rosh Chodesh, you shall also do a tkiah with the chatzot with the trumpets, for your olot, for your, for your offerings that are all consumed, for your shlamim, you should be remembered before God, I am the Lord, your God. So we'll pause here, and I'll, I'll finish with, uh, before we go to Q&A, this beautiful, beautiful idea that we always mention every year that we sometimes feel that we're waiting for the, the, the next destination.
for life to really begin or to get back on track. And what the lesson that is driven home with this Parsha is that wherever you are, it could be a day, it could be one night. That is a permanence if, because everything that's happening, all of our travels, where we are, this is by God's instruction. It seems that, you know, we, circumstances brought us to a certain place. But in fact, just as it's described in the desert, every movement that we make, every place that we are, we should never view it as temporary. It is the place we are meant to be in that moment. And we can build a Mishkan for God right there and not wait till the next destination. We'll open it up to Q&A. And also, if anybody needs to go, let them go elegantly. You're telling and me that this this could be it? You mean this is this is it? <laughs> this is life? Right, right, right. So <laughs> I, I was I, thinking about that, that, of I, course, Mashiach, right? You know, that, I, I had a comment on that, too, actually, when you were saying it. Because I was thinking of that with all the presentation, all the ways in which God was present. Not so much you weren't allowed to see the face of God or talk to God, except for Moses, maybe. But. There were so many signs, the cloud, the fire, and so forth. But your comment about life, wherever you are, seemed to me striking because what's saying is God's presence is always in the moment. It's always in the present. Everything else has already happened or hasn't happened yet. I mean, it's always in the moment. We can all be there if we can be still enough. It's hard. But exactly, exactly. I was, it reminded me of, you know, when the, when the Jews were, you know, trying to come into Israel, then called Palestine, and the British wouldn't let them in the, the, to their homeland. So what happened? They, they sent them to Cyprus. At least they were humane enough to <laughs> send them to Cyprus. And they're, they're, you know, basically refugees. But what happened there is that they, you know, they didn't just sit there, you know, waiting they actually established institutions there and were quite developed there, uh, treating it, hey, if we're here, let's, let's get organized. And there was also a, a uh, chassid in a DP camp where the previous rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Yitzhak, wrote him a letter. He says, you know, don't just, don't just look at it as a uh, stopover. You know, this is where you are. This is where you're meant to be and, and get to work. So... A very, very essential lesson from from this parsha. Um, you know, I'm going to throw a little thought out here. Uh, it it was it was very it seemed very powerful to me. There's a whole concept of living our lives without expectations, and by doing that, then you're better able to adjust as a person. And I and I I mean that by I don't mean you can don't have expectations doesn't mean you shouldn't have goals, right? You shouldn't have goals. And, and the, our people had goals of get into Canaan, right? Or, or, you know, the freedom and freedom of choice and living our way, right? So those were, those are goals. And we had faith in that. We still have faith in that. And I just think this is a, seems to me a beautiful lesson of don't ask expectations. Hashem is leading the way. When he says, pick up, you pick up. When he says, you don't, you don't. And you're not in charge of how you get to the goal. You've asked for this goal of Hashem to be led into the promised land. And here is the way that it's going. And when Hashem makes the decision, you just do it. And the move in the morning, the move in the night, move after a year, all of that 
it seems to be such a beautiful lesson for humbleness, not having expectations, continuing your faith. But I may be, uh, anyway, please correct me there. No, that's, that's beautiful. Thank you for bringing that out. That's absolutely, that's very, very clear that that is a, the message, one of the messages there. Um, I would just say that, you know, there is a tension between, as you alluded to, having goals, right? So we have to, we, we make our plans, but as you say, ultimately recognizing that it's, you know, God's the boss and he's in control. So there's that tension of the faith, but also putting in our effort. And I think that in the desert, it was particularly focused on, you know, we're really in God's hands and having that faith mm-hmm. um, as, as kind of an introduction to, you know, just like when you're younger, you're receiving, you're studying, you're learning. And then as you ensure, you know, you're taking your own initiative and so forth, still remembering who's boss, but there's a time where there's a focus on that submission of, you know, God's, God is boss. And I mean, there's also a tension as I think, you know, Jonathan was alluding to is that we, you know, we don't sit back when it comes to Mashiach, you know, we say we want Mashiach, we want Mashiach now, we're supposed to ask God and we're supposed to demand and we even have it in our parsha where the people do come and demand and they say, hey, we want to do this Paschal lamb, even though the law seems to, to um, exclude us. So there is a tension there of accepting God's will and recognizing we're not the boss, but at the same time, having a drive and a desire. And, and you know, God is also our father, you know, and telling, telling our father, you know, we, we really want this. So, but I think the main point you brought out very well, you, you said it better than I could. Right. Um, may I ask one question also? I'm sorry. Let, let me, let me go to Hillel because to uh, Hillel. we're Another already over time. time. Another time. Yes. We'll... I'm sorry. Go ahead. So this is a, you know, beautiful lesson, but for me is a problem. We don't have this cloud right now. How do we know where to go? <laughs> you know. That's a great point. That is good. Well, we, we can, um, that's a great question. That's a great, great question. How do you know where to go? I think that, um, you know, if you don't know, if you're not sure, you ask, right? Before you can ask God for direction and um, you can ask good friends that, that know you well and, and can give unbiased advice, objective advice, since we're always subjective, it's hard to, to um, know the truth for ourselves. And I would say those are the, those are the two ways. Pray, pray for direction and ask for it from, from people you trust. All right, friends, thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a great journey today. The destination, the journey is the destination. And huh. we'll see you tomorrow. Bezrat Hashem. Thank you, Rabbi. Have a wonderful day. Thank right. you. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Bill, do you want to stay on? Uh, and, yeah, uh, I thought I was going to ask you. Answer that question for you. And I will first um, stop the record.